Hey, welcome back to an episode of 2216 Podcast. Uh, first, I'd like to apologize for our absence. It's been a very busy last couple of months or so. I'm joined here by Dave again. Jake will not be with us tonight. Uh, I guess I'd first like to start off and say hope everyone's been healthy and everybody's been safe out there. And uh, we look forward to continuing on to the show now. So, Dave, yeah. good to have you again. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate being uh, asked to do this. Uh, so, so what's new? What's been going on? Uh, well, um, quite a few things, actually. Um, you know, it's parade season, so we're out and about doing parades. Um, kind of in a rebuilding phase with the fire company I'm with now. So it's, uh, you know, it's been trying to get things back in line, you know, standard operating procedures, guidelines, uh just trying to get things moving. Um, it's summertime, so, you know, everybody's kind of either out camping or, or away. So, you know, that leads to manpower issues and, you know, kind of the typical stuff I think everybody else is facing. How about you? Yeah, that's about it. And, you know, a lot of that explains a lot of our absence. You know, we've had a lot going on up here. A lot of different meetings. You know, we had our county convention that kept us quite busy up here in Wellsville, and that turned out real well. Pretty good showing from all the departments around. Uh, of course, we continue to try to move forward in Allentown and, you know, you know, keep things on the upward trend there. Uh, we've actually worked with some of our mutual aid departments now, and we're scheduling a rather large training coming up in September. So, So that's a positive. Um, there's been, there's been a lot, there's been a lot in this county. It's, it's been a tough time for a lot of people. I know a lot of the listeners have been, have been on me about, uh, getting their show back up and running and believe me, we didn't really want to be away for so long. It just seems like there was never the right time to get back on and do an episode and we all live a very busy life. So I guess that's, that's part of the show. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people can relate to that, you know, full-time job, full-time in the fire company. It's not a, it's not a part-time gig. If you're an officer, chief officer, line officer, a lot of make sure things are going. So now I can relate to that. Uh, a lot going on right now. I think everybody, I mean, it's not just myself, but I, I, you know, pretty much any of the rural departments this time of year kind of suffer. Yeah. Well, that's a thing. And, you know, we've, We've talked back and forth, and we we have we had it planned to do the show multiple times, but then you know either you'd end up on an alarm, I'd end up on an alarm, or something else would come up, and th- things are just things are just crazy. Yeah, we've had a, a large increase in storm related damages uh, this year. Believe it or not, it's been totally uh, a little crazy um, from tree down calls to uh, substations with transformers on fire. It's it's been pretty uh, eventful lately. Yeah. Yeah, and I see it looks like there's another storm coming out across. So, who knows, tonight, later, tomorrow, maybe something like that. More more yeah. could happen. Yep. Um, so, anyways, uh, we haven't really discussed what we wanted to talk about on this topic. Other than basically, you know, just a general talk over on how things are going and, you know, a little general tidbits on on what's been going on and and how how things are going in our own departments and how we're seeing things out in the world i know dave i know you you watch a lot of the news articles and 
see what's going on. You know, we were discussing about the incident down in New York City today. I don't know if our listeners have seen any about that, but tell us tell us about that and what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, so that's definitely a, a, a very interesting uh, situation they had today. Um, they had a tower crane set up, and it ended up catching fire. Um, and uh, I believe it went, I want to say it went uh, five alarms, I believe, uh, for this incident. And, uh, I mean, from a tactic standpoint, there's a lot to keep in mind with this. Um, not only did they have a, a partial collapse of the crane itself, um, but they had uh, the fire they had to deal with multiple floors up. Um, you know, it was it was a pretty looked like a pretty interesting incident they had there. Um, you know, and, and like I said, they had what sixteen tons of concrete fall along with the jib section of the crane to the ground, which poses and struck another building. So I mean, that poses a huge. A huge incident, honestly, all the way around. Um, you know, you have evacuations you got to come up with. You got to get everybody on the on the the ground level. I've never personally been to New York City, but I know um, just from watching videos and stuff the amount of people that are on the ground. You have to try to evacuate out of that area. It must be insane. Um, and then to try to go marble floors up and uh, and to try to put a fire out off a standpipe system with straight more nozzles, just huge task. Yeah, I'm thoughts, glad that's Greg? something we don't have to worry about up here. <laughs> no, um, and, and, you know, it's nice. I mean, yes, we're a, we're a rural podcast, but shout out to these guys, man. This is a this is something they do every day. Can you imagine packing, you know, 10 stories, 10 floors, uh, you know, more than that even, in some instances, to, to go put a fire out. You know, it's stuff that we don't run into when we face our own challenges, don't get me wrong, but that's that's impressive to me. Yeah, that's, you know, honestly, there hasn't really been many fires up this way. I'd say probably in the last couple of months, there hasn't been a whole lot going on. Uh, now, I know Jake, our other member on the show, he was involved in quite a serious motor vehicle accident. Uh, I don't know. I guess it's been well, a couple Well, not involved. He was there. Well, yeah, he was there <laughs> as a responder, not as the actual. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so he responded as the as a, as one of the chiefs on scene and they got there and it was a two car head on with having entrapment in both vehicles. And unfortunately, you know, it ended up being fatal. So everybody over there kind of, I don't want to say took it hard, but you know how it is. Everybody, it affects everybody to a certain extent. Um, so, but you know, Jake's been real good about talking to us and he's been real good about checking on his guys and everybody's doing good with it. So, but the, you know, those are the those are the things that happen around here, unfortunately. Yep. Yeah, it's unfortunate, and we've discussed this in numerous episodes that we've done. You know, we run into people we know, we run into you know people we're familiar with. Uh, incidents hit close to home. You know, um, he was responding fortunately for as a mutual aid chief. Uh, it wasn't his his direct incident, but I know his his guys got you know put to work with the extrication process and, and a couple other things. You know, just listen to the audio. So. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, we were in that situation not that long ago with almost a identical identical accident in Wellsville. Um, same thing, two cars head-on ended up being a fatality. You know, it's people that, like we've mentioned before, it's people that you know. So, so that's always one of them things that kind of pulls at your heartstrings. Yep. Yep. 
No, we we recognize it. We we you know we've been in contact with him and we're familiar with what he's got you know going on. So, um, you know if there's any any issues there, we'll we definitely know. So, he's one hundred percent. Um. So aside from that stuff, I guess uh, you know, like I say, we haven't really been to a whole lot of actual incidents lately, but some of the some of the more time consuming things is all the behind the scenes things like i know i was talking with you the other day and you were at your station and you guys are looking to do some overhauling and looking to get rid of some equipment and you know that's that that takes a lot of time away from your personal life um you know same with us so recently we've been chasing some troubles in you know a couple of our fire trucks and still chasing a few few uh electrical issues in the station that's been taking up a lot of time um so it's funny i was just uh we were just talking about earlier that, you know, it was it was about a year ago when we actually had to call in an alarm at our at our own station. Mm-hmm. Um, so what had happened when that went on? You know, I was at the Potter County Fair. I had my father, who's the assistant chief. He called me while I was over there and said, "Hey, there's something going on at the fire station." Uh, he said the the lights are acting funny. Well, then all of a sudden he says, "You know, you got to call for help." There's smoke and we can't get the doors open and there's a lot going on. So at that point, we thought the station was actually on fire. So let me tell you what, being a chief and being, you know, 20 minutes away from your scene and hearing that your own firehouse is on fire. That's interesting. Yeah, listening to that incident was very interesting, uh, especially being uh, four hours away. Um, You know, obviously we communicate with each other and if we know if there's you know, a fire going on in our, one of our mutual aid districts um, or, you know, something along the lines up there. We listen to a lot of each other's uh, scanner feeds um, just to just try to keep up and, you know, see what's going on, especially if they have an incident. So um, definitely listen to that. And I'm going to give your 20 minutes a, a real good, uh, you know, that that's that's cutting it, bud. 20 minutes. You're a little under that time, I think. But, wow. um, you know. <laughs> yeah, I don't even <laughs> want to discuss what my responding to on scene time was for that but yeah yeah your, your 20 minutes is just on the touch on the uh, high side but uh, either way i mean ultimately uh, ultimately i think anybody that was put would be put in that situation would have the same same type of response and, and you did a good job i mean you asked for mutual aid assistance right away um before anybody was even there you asked for mutual aid assistance you had you know essentially your first alarm coming in which would be i guess your second alarm up there um you know, it was handled very well from the start, and especially with you not being on scene. So, um, you know, I think it went really well, just from an outsider perspective. But I, I can imagine—I can't imagine what you'd feel trying to know when you're going back to your station, thinking it's on fire, though. Yeah, well, and the tough part there, you know, we had so we had guys at the station, but they were busy, you know, trying to get trucks out of there, trying to get whatever they could get out of the way. And with me not being there, not being able to see what's going on, you know, it's trying to make those blind calls and, you know, hope we're doing right, which ended up, you know, we, we were a little overkill on the equipment that was there, but, but in my defense and my perspective, I didn't know where the truck's going to be able to get out. You know, was that place really burning? So right. it's, it, it was kind of a, kind of a shot in the dark and, and hope I was making the right choices. Yeah. I mean, and ultimately uh, more equipment, the better uh, for yeah. those situations. I think we can both agree that that's, you know, without knowing what's going on and without really getting a, a good on-scene report other than, hey, I got smoke in the building, we're not sure what's going on here. Um, 
you know, hey, I'd rather just have as much people there as I could get, and then we'll figure it out once we get there. Um, but it's nice you have a mutual aid chief, you have mutual aid chief officers that want to work with you when it comes to being your incident. You know, knowing you're not on scene and they're still calling out assignments and you know making sure they're doing what they need to do once they arrive. That's nice. Yeah, it worked out great. We had, you know, we had an EMS chief from Wellsville show up there, and he was real good about getting the information out. And we had a fire investigator that showed up pretty quick and determined that there was a fire going in the wall, which ended up being, you know, the wires and stuff we found. But, you know, then we had uh, district coordinator from District uh, 3 show up, and he, he was real good about helping kind of take charge while, you know, while everybody all of our members were trying to get trucks out and get things in order. So, so it went real right. well for what it was. And honestly, it was, it was actually probably the best training session we've ever had. Sadly, you know, maybe yeah. the circumstance would be nice if it, they were a little different, but Hey, you know, that's, that's helped lead us to kind of the point where we're at now. That was one of the two incidents, as you know, that was one of the two incidents that kind of got me going to really want to do this podcast. Right. Yeah, no, no, actually, to, to kind of touch on that a, a little bit, too, there was actually a department actually just south of you, not too far from you, um, that su- suffered a catastrophic loss of all their equipment. Um, that was Lawrenceville. This is a couple years ago. They actually, I believe they just opened their new station. Um, but they were able to grab, I think, just one piece or possibly two pieces and get them out of the station before it was it was too much to, to gain anything. They lost all their turnout gear. They lost, I believe, everything but two pieces. Um, so, you know, the opposite side of the spectrum was it didn't put them out of service, but they, you know, they were kind of hurting a little bit till they got equipment and and gear and everything back in. So, um, and they relied heavily on their mutual aid departments to assist them if anything happened. Yeah. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, is that the station that was attached to the village officer or town officer or one of them? They actually had a social hall in there as well. Uh, so it, I mean, I, I don't believe it was attached to the village office or the town office. Okay. I think it was just their, uh, just their apartment. I gotcha. I gotcha. Okay. Yeah. I remember when that happened that I, I listened to some of their, or watched some of the feed rather on that. Yeah. I watched some of the, the video. You know, one of my past, uh, yeah. One of my past coworkers, uh, and one of their assistant chiefs from Tiger County 911, uh, TJ Riley. He, he's one of their, uh, I think their second assistant chief, or maybe their first assistant now. Um, he was actually one of the first ones to arrive and ran in and, and grabbed the, the stuff that he could get out and got it out. Um, I mean, that's how close he lives to the station, but that was how advanced the fire was prior to his arrival. Right, and that's the same kind of deal as, you know, the stations that we come from. And they're not huge by any means. Yeah, it, it's they're all small. I mean, but you have multiple pieces, so and that's okay. what everybody kind of. I kind of have to explain that a little bit when you get closer to the the more urban areas um, than the rural areas. Is yes, there's a bunch of apparatus, but it all serves a purpose. Like we have utilities or brush trucks or you know two engines hypothetically, and that's one's a tanker more or less. Um, so I mean, we we see different types, and and you know, um, my home department, Rowlett, for an example. Uh, they have two, an engine, a squad, which is a rescue engine, a tanker, a uh, brush truck, a UTV, and two ambulances. Um, but everything serves a purpose. So it's not like they, they have the staffing. I mean, you might roll one piece or two pieces and then leave the third piece behind. It's not like everything's dumping, but what you take is what you need. Right. Yeah, and that's it. That's similar to how we run. You know, we run the engine, tanker, 
we run a quick attack and a brush also. And I'm not saying, you know, our trucks, all four of those are not out on every single call. But you may get a brush fire where you need your brush. You may get your structure fires. You may have, you know, whatever. Your your The incidents dictate which vehicle you're taking. So it's not quite as easy as what it is in the more populated areas where your engines can do multiple jobs and get down solid paved roads and, you know, have plenty of room. We don't, we don't necessarily have that all the time. Right. And a lot of things people forget too, is these rural areas. Yes, you may have positive water off a hydrant, but most, most communities don't, you know, you're out farm roads, you're out, you know, drafted out of somebody's pond for a water supply. Um, so those, those other pieces are necessary just to sustain water flow until your mutual aid department makes it get there. Because I can tell you in Rowlett, you're talking, you know, 10 to 12 minutes for the first piece to arrive on scene. And that's including dispatch time. So from time of dispatch to time on scene, you're talking 10 to 12 minutes. And those guys are quick. Uh, Port Allegheny, the same thing. Those guys are quick. They're out the door quick, good staffing, good, good trained people. So, you know, but you still have that time frame in between from the time they're dispatched to the time of the arrival that you're trying to fight fire on your own. Right. Well, you know, and that's the thing here. We have, we have uh, neighboring communities. They have hydrants, but the hydrants may not work off of a substantial supply. So, yeah, we might be able to run one supply line to the hydrant, but other than that, you're working tanker shuttles. Right. Uh, <clears throat> so then, as you know, well, let's let's talk about tanker shuttles for a few minutes. Why not? That okay. seems like a good idea. Yeah, sure. Let's get into that. So, tanker shuttles, what's your take? Well, uh... There's a right time and a wrong time. Um, mostly more right than wrong. Uh, I know a lot of departments switch to, they like to nurse off a tanker initially uh, and then trans- transition into a, a tanker shuttle operation. The problem we run into is you're you're pretty much eliminating one tanker out of the shuttle when you switch to that. Um, it, it's difficult to, uh, when, when you start looking at the fire scene, what's more conducive to putting the fire out? Is it you hook in directly and you pump your water through and then you got to start stacking tankers behind them to, to nurse in? Um, or is it a, a factor where you can transition? Um, I watched a good video the other day, uh, Franklin Fire Company. Actually, I shared it with you guys. Um, Franklin Fire Company in, uh, or sorry, Chamber, or, uh, Fayetteville Fire Company in Franklin County, my apologies. Um, they had a working house fire. They did everything right. They laid in. They had a bad hydrant. Um, and they transitioned from a, thinking they had a positive water supply to nurse operations off of a tanker, which actually worked in their favor. So you have both, you can look at both way, at it both ways and say, well, it's right or wrong. Realistically, as long as you're getting water supplied, it doesn't really matter how it's coming. Um, I think a, an effective way to do it would be the tanker shuttle operations, especially in the rural, more rural areas where you have a longer distance to, to fill. But it, to each their own, you know, it's not, there's no right or wrong way to do it. Um, but I mean, my preference is probably going to be the, the shuttle operations. Yeah. What's your thoughts, Greg? Well, you know, 100% up here, aside from if we go to, you know, maybe Wellsville, they have a real, they have a substantial, uh, hydro system there, but otherwise we're generally running tanker shuttles. Um, the issue that, the issue that we run into all the time is one, getting your water supply established and then, you know, getting your tanker shuttle set to where it's efficient. By that, I'm meaning a lot of the roads around here are not very wide. 
So you take your first new engine or even your second new engine, whatever, you establish them not quite right, you eliminate that being able to rapidly dump tankers and, you know, keep the shuttle going. Uh, we had an incident, oh, it's been a little while now. It was up a uh, dirt road. It was middle of the night. It was dark. Uh, ended up being about halfway in between this dirt road. So the first new engine rolled up in. Their tanker rolled up in behind them. Well, then before the officer in command could even get established, our tanker, Clarksville's tanker, and I don't know, I can't remember, I think one other, ended up stacked up in there as well. Well, then come to find out, there was nowhere to turn around, no way to get up past the scene. So we had five tankers stacked up in that we ended up nursing off of. Now, given the situation, it worked out fine because we, we, we didn't have enough water on scene. But if it would become, if it would have became a situation where we would have needed more, we'd have, we'd have really been in trouble because to get out, we, once we left, we actually had to back down, I would say a good, you know, three quarters of a mile down the road just to get out. There's no way we could have ever operated as a, an efficient shuttle site. Right. Uh, now on the opposite side of that, so Willing actually a few years ago had a, well, it, it was a church, but it was a it was privately owned. Come time for that, and it was it was a very large structure, and there was a lot of fire. Um, same thing, no hydrants, so they established a water supply. Well, it worked out great there. We had, I think there ended up being three different fill sites, and you know I bet there was there was probably ten, twelve tankers running. Um, but it was once they did got it set up and established, it was bam, bam, bam. Everyone knew what they were doing. Everyone was going right, and it worked flawlessly. Right. Now, it, it takes a lot of skill and a lot of patience to shut that, set that up, in my opinion. And, you know, like we always say, everything always comes back to training and manpower. And, and that's true. You train on it, train on it, train on it. And that'll make the real thing go a lot smoother, I think. Right. Um, I agree. And see, I'm in a community that has a positive water supply in the borough. Um, however, it's only a 200,000-gallon system, so anybody knows fire flow, we could burn through that real quick. So our secondary source, secondary means of uh, water would be a tanker shuttle operation. Um, so your your primary engine is grabbing a hydrant, your second engine in is going to supply you know, or hit the hydrant for the engine, whatever they need to do, pump to the engine or just hook in directly. Uh, third due engine is going to lay from a, a, you know, a decent location where we can set up, and then the fourth due engine is going to hook up to them. And supply them so that way you have two efficient uh, water supplies established. And if you need two aerial master streams, you have that ability to flow both of those. So it is it is difficult, especially in our area, because now you know, okay, I've got the primary means taken care of. What's secondary? What's the, where's the nearest intersection we can stop? I mean, not always is you going to put a, a a tank in an intersection, but our roads are narrow, so it is a little easier to put uh, you know a, a dump tank right there in an intersection, have the tanker swing around back into a dump, and they can pull off. Um, so it's all about tactics and trying to figure out knowing your district too, that, that, as you said, training comes in and that's part of it. Yeah. So of course so. I've been, I've been someone in your district. Um, I know you're on your engine, you're on the tanker while well, you call it a tanker. I call it, I call it an engine, but Hey, whatever. <laughs> so yeah. now when you're operating, if it's your box alarm, does your tanker operate as tanker or do you use that as your supply truck? So that would be our, that'd be an engine. Yes. Uh, well, it depends. It depends on the type of situation, right? So if we know right from the start, we're going to need, and especially like in our township, 
Um, that's something that's going to be a a fire that we're going to need a, a tank for, and we're going to do it. We're going to set the tank up next in engine can hit the, the tank and hit and supply the engine first arriving engine, and then tanker's going to dump and run. You know, drop manpower, dump and run. So we can use it both ways. Okay. So we <laughs> we do we do use it both ways. Um, depends on what what the situation is. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I know every everyone up here obviously has tanker. I think I don't think there's well, there might be maybe two departments in the county that do not have tankers, but other than that, everybody else has them. Uh, now, correct me if I'm wrong. Just about all departments down around you run tankers as well, don't they? Correct. And I have to say, I'm just throwing this out there, probably one of by far the coolest tankers I've ever seen is the our mutual aid department, Wiccanisco. They're probably one of the coolest tankers I think I've ever seen. Yeah, that's so, true. So if you ever I get a chance, check them out. Cool. It is. If you ever get a chance, check them out. Check out Wiccanisco Fire. Um, they have a really nice rescue engine, well set up rescue engine as well, but their their tanker is pretty nice. Yeah, I, I would love to drive that thing. To be honest with you, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's nice. So yeah, I, I think it. I think water supply is one of them things, and I know there's been a lot of officers around here, and everybody has different opinions on it. I know Cuba have recently did a training for tanker shuttles and water supply operations and that, and I, that went over very well from what I understand. I wasn't able to attend it, but, but they were able to, they were able to get some pretty serious flows. Yep. Out of it, which, you know, that's pretty awesome. Um, well, and coordination's key. I mean, you gotta, you gotta coordinate your your water efforts and i don't know your thoughts on this greg but i know down here one of the one of the nice things that we ended up doing or we end up doing as officers is is assigning a different channel for water supply i know a lot of and going back to communications up there i know that the availability isn't always there for that um but down here we're given a separate ops channel for water supply so you actually you can have a water supply officer that you know basically can monitor that situation and determine hey do we need three additional tankers or are we good with what we have um so that is a benefit yeah, see, and that's it's funny. I'll I'll always see comments on Facebook or hear comments. Well, why do you need so many fire trucks there? Well, <laughs> we need a lot of trucks because we need the water. The rest of the trucks, you know, let's face it. Generally, on scene, you're operating two, maybe three engines. I'll say, you know, mm-hmm. that's that that in general, right? But you're bringing in all the extra trucks for the water supply. You're bringing in the extra trucks for all the manpower. Because let's face it, we don't have the we don't have the manpower that we used to. Nobody does. Well, let, let's talk about manpower right now. Uh, we'll, we'll switch this real quick. The, this time of year is crucial for manpower for us. Uh, one, we have a lot of people away, um, so that that kind of hurts us a little bit. But secondly, with this heat, um, you take an average an average day where it's already hot. You throw somebody in turnout gear and you send them into a fire and they come back out and it's still hot. You know, it, it, it wears people down. It, 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 you know, it does, it wears them down. And, um, one of the things I've been pushing for our, for our folks is to make sure you're hydrating. Like I send out a reminder almost daily, especially when it's hot for our folks to hydrate. Um, it's, it's important. It's important. We're not doing anybody any good if we're going down. Right. It is. And you're talking about people who are already working full-time jobs or already at home doing lawn care or, you know, digging ditches, whatever. So there's a chance that they're already tired by the time they get to that fire scene. Um, right. You know, so I, I don't know about down there, but up here, 
we're we're semi okay with doing rehab. Um, I, I feel like we should all do better up here, but the problem is we uh, we don't we don't have the manpower going inside. So all them guys that end up going to rehab, you know, they're sitting out for 20, 30 minutes. All of a sudden, well, now we don't have anybody to actually go in and fight the fire. So that becomes an issue here. Uh, obviously, since last year, we've been trying to do better about that as well. You know, and that's why we're hearing five or six departments go to fire scenes where you used to see two or three. Right. Well, one of the things, too, and, and this is a, a big thing that I've noticed um, in my career, even, you know, in the 20 years I've been in the fire service, um, the support staff that you once had are not there. Um, when, when we say, you know, we could take anybody to the in the fire service and, and be part of the fire department, not necessarily going in and fighting fire, but we need other people. We need other hands. Part of that's the support staff for the firefighters, bringing cold water, bringing stuff out, because not every department has a rehab or an ambulance service that has water uh, you know, stocked up. Now, we're fortunate in Williamstown to have a, a, a great, great asset here with our rehab. Our EMS department has a, a rehab trailer and a QRS unit that they pull out to the fire. They've got misting fans. They've got water. I mean, they've got it all. They've got cooling towels. Um, it's a great asset to have, but not every department has that, especially in the smaller departments, you know, in, in the more rural areas. You know, you're relying on somebody to come from home to grab bottled water, to grab uh, something. Yeah, that's it here. Uh, so we have a few members now, and, and they've actually been really good about it. Uh, they're, 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 I guess we'll use the term support staff. You know, they take care of our accountability board. They take care of making sure, you know, we have the tools, we know where the tools are, making sure that they're getting water, making sure they're, you know, keeping track of everybody and knowing everybody's in good shape. So, so we are getting kind of fortunate there. Uh, but I correct me, your EMS down there, that's a paid staff, correct? That covers your fire. It, it, it is correct. Yes. They're paid staff, but their the rehab is, is covered by volunteers, uh, not necessarily the paid staff. So the paid staff will stay back and staff the rigs and that that'll be volunteers. It's a combination paid and volunteer department. So okay. for EMS, um, okay, so they you. do take, yeah, and they, they accept all, all types of donations for Gatorade and water, you know. And this is what most of these departments need. Most of our departments are rural departments. Um, if you're not a firefighter, a great thing to do is is to stop by and say, hey, what do you guys need? Do you need ice? Do you need water? You know, there's certain things that fire companies can use if you donate it to say, hey, like, hey, we'll give you a, a, a case of water. That really is beneficial for us. Yeah, 100%. We, we were fortunate uh, recently... Dollar General actually went through and they had some big promotion going on and um, there's a few of those around. They they donated a lot, a lot of Gatorade and a lot of water to several of the departments around here. And that's very helpful because you figure, I, I don't know how much a pallet of water costs nowadays, but you know, you take the small funds that you already get and go out and buy a pallet of water, which, you know, may seem goofy, but that's the, those are, it's very yeah. important to have that on scene. Absolutely. And, and it is, it's a cost. I mean, there's costs. We, we have costs besides the general utility bills and the general everything else. Our costs are, you know, you're talking $6,600 for, you know, a set of gear, a set of turnout gear or, uh, excuse me, a uh, air pack. So like talking like 4,500 for a set of gear. Yeah. Um, and depending on what air pack you get, you may have more. Um, so calculate that cost by 15, 20 members it's a lot of money. You're talking close to a hundred grand. You know, we, we're selling chickens 
to try to get to a hundred grand just to pay for new equipment, let alone the utility bills that you get on a monthly basis or the, you know, insurance costs. Cause we have to pay insurance. you got to pay, you know, obviously the municipalities of Pennsylvania cover the workman's comp, but, um, everything else the department has to pay for the registrations, the inspections on the apparatus. That's not free. Um, we have a lot of stuff. It, it comes out of the, the pockets of the, the firefighters. You know, it's the end of the day. Now it is, I mean, and we appreciate the donations from the community and we appreciate everybody stepping up, but you know, eventually that's not going to be there. You know, I I see that happening. I I think, you know, people do donate, don't get me wrong, but you know, we're going to run into a point here where costs are going to be too much, even for the 20 bucks you give a year to the fire companies, the costs are going to be so much that we're not going to be able to continue on without some other source of funding. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And, you know, we've been discussing like the fundraising aspect of it. Well, now you, you're trying to add one more responsibility onto your volunteers who are already obviously working and responding to alarms and doing all the upkeep. Well, now we're trying to get everybody to, to sell tickets, you know, to show up to work these events and, and they're not getting anything out of it. You know, I, maybe a big thank you from the officers, but but what good is that doing? You know, I've got somebody working 60 hours a week, responding to alarms. And then I'm taking up their weekends by asking them to come and, you know, for lack of better terms, beg for money just so that we can keep the firehouse open and they're getting nothing out of it. Right. No, and it, it is, it's a, it's truly, and, and, uh, chief Brian Phelps, he's, he's, he says this quite often out of the Countersport fire department. Um, you know, it's a sad state of affairs that, that, Volunteers have to go out and sell chickens just to just to pay the bills. You know, where, where's our state funding? Where's our federal funding for what we do? It's not like people are beating down the door. I mean, I'll be honest. In our 30s, Greg, how many people do you have in your department in your 30s? Because I can tell you that I have very slim to almost me. Right. Yeah, and that's you know exactly what? the problem. We've we've had this talk. Once our generation is gone, what's below us? What's who's coming up? You know, whether it's the lack of desire to volunteer or, you know, the state and federal mandates that are making it difficult. We're not seeing the younger members come in like we used to. Well, you're asking people to, to dedicate a lot of time. So yeah. not only are you asking them to go put in 200 plus hours of training just to, just to ride the rig, not even to be a technical certified firefighter because they're not going to have the experience at that point, but you're asking them to be there every day. They have a full-time job. They have kids, they have a family and they can't do that. It's, it's almost impossible. Where do you split your time? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's tough. It's tough. And, you know, it's hard when it comes back to you as, as being the head officer because it all does fall on your shoulders. Correct. So when Correct. things now, we're get fortunate, done, we're, we're fortunate not to interrupt mm-hmm. you, but we're fortunate in our department with, uh, with our uh, active membership that we have a lot of people that are active members that can assist their support staff. You know, they're older, but, you know, our president does a very good job of, of trying to put it out to everybody. Like, look at the average age of the people in this room. Um, it's, you know, they're sixties and seventies, <laughs> you know, you're, you're, you're got 30 people in their sixties and seventies that are, you know, they're It's a great asset to have. Cause they know, they know the business aspect. They know all that, but they don't know, uh, you know, the firefighting side of it, or they, or they don't, they're, they just don't, can't do the firefighting side of it. You know, their choice, not anybody else's, but they just choose not to do the firefighting side of it. So that leaves 15 people that are showing up to go to fire calls, to work fundraisers, to help out in every other way. 
Right. So it does burn you out, and that's where you learn. That's where you start to lose your membership, or you learn lose your people. Well, absolutely, absolutely. Well, and so one of my most active interior firefighters is my mother. Um, I'm not going to say her age, but <laughs> that's probably best because she <laughs> yeah, probably killed I'm both not, of us. <laughs> I'm not going to go there, but you know, she's still packing up. She's still doing the interior work, and she's still keeping up with a lot of younger crowds. But with that being said, how long is that going to last? Well, you know, and the same thing was said with my dad. My dad's 68 years old. Still put, he's still good for an air pack. He'll tell you that. Everything after that, he's you know, if it's another you know air pack, he's he's not doing it. He's he's going to stay out and let somebody else go in. But you know, one one air pack's great. But what if you have a, a a good fire where you're there for a few hours? You know, it's not helping things. Um, you know, so and it, he is to an extent. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that he's not valuable even after he, he goes through his one pack, but. What are you getting out of that one pack? You know, right? Well, you know, so. let's face it. I, I'm not. I'm not going to sit here and say that there's anything wrong with age, but with that growing age, does come a little bit more risk. So well, he, he flat out says that. I mean, that's that's something he always we talk about. You know, obviously, I, you know, I'm I'm his son, so obviously for me, it's it's difficult for me to know that he's going to a fire. You know, and I'm four hours away. If something should happen, you know, that's a difficult thing for me. Um, it's something I, I struggle with a little bit because I know he tends to go over and above what he should be doing. I know that I'm his kid. You know, I, I see it. I do kind of the same thing sometimes. So it is. Uh, it is. It's it's kind of concerning. I mean, well, it is. You know, it is funny. You and I kind of share this aspect. We grew up with our parents starting to worry about us when we started to get into the firefighting and, and, and all that. Well, now the tide's kind of changed where we're standing on the outside watching them go in and, you know, we're worrying and being concerned that something's going to go wrong. Right. Or, right. So, so right. we, we kind of see where they come from. But I, I, can, I, think, and I, I think any multi-generation fired firehouse family faces that, faces that exact same thing. Because I know quite a few people that have had parents in that are my age now, and they're thinking the same thing I am. Like, should they still be doing this? You know, I'm never going to tell my dad. Obviously, it wouldn't go over well if I said just don't do this. But like, I, you know, I've been working on like talking about limitations with him as far as what he should be doing, and you know that kind of stuff. And I think he understands for the most part. Um, but again, who am I? You know, <laughs> he's been doing it for a long time. So. Huh. Well, and with that knowledge and experience, he knows what he's doing. And same with same with mom. Oh, for sure. She knows what she's doing. But we all know that there's certain parts about this job that can be unpredictable and you never know what's going to happen. For sure. Yep. But I suppose Absolutely. that comes into play that us as officers, you know, it's our decision to watch each of our members and make sure that they're at that level to where we can feel comfortable if something does happen that they're able to, you know, rather self-rescue or know what to do to get themselves out of it or stay calm or, you know, whatever the right. case may be. Right. And there's a lot of good people that, and that's one thing I'm fortunate with, with, with Rowlett. You know, I grew up in that department. Those guys mentored me. They trained me. Um, essentially they gave me the groundwork to be the firefighter I am today. And, you know, I trust all of them. You know, there isn't a person up there from the officer regime or the, uh, you know, the membership, even for that matter, that I don't trust. I, I trust all of them. I've bought fire with almost all of them. Um, and I know the officers are always looking out for that aspect, you know, um, 
the the chief there he always pays attention to what's going on he's always big into making sure that everybody's you know safe and, and going home and you can't ask for anything more than that or anything better than that yeah and i think that's one of the most important things about being being chief is making sure you're having that lookout and making sure you're always scanning and seeing what's going on in the scene, you know, not getting that tunnel vision that we always talk about, you know, yep. and being comfortable with your people. I mean, I know you're still relatively new into this fire station that you're in now. I mean, you're not super new. You've been there a while now, but still a lot of the members you're you're just getting used to, and you guys are forming that bond. I'm fortunate. You know, I've been in the same department for over 20 years, so I know everybody you've known forever. So it's gotta be a little different when you're, going into a new station and getting it back into that comfort zone. Uh, and you have to prove yourself just as much as they have to prove themselves. There, there's nothing you, you don't as an officer or even a firefighter is a new firefighter coming in. Even if you have training, when you walk in the doors of a new firehouse, you, you need to expect that you're going to have to train yourself or uh, prove yourself. You're going to have to expect it. Um, there's no just walking in and being like, Oh, Hey, this is what I do. No, we need to see how you work. Cause you know, that's just how it is. So, I mean, there is that aspect and I'm still in that aspect with a lot of the, the folks there, you know, um, we don't have the call volume here to, to necessitate, you know, calls all the time. Um, the people I have gone in with, you know, we're, we're good, but there are other people that are apprehensive and and rightfully so, you know, and and I am as well, you know, in some way, some instances with some people that, Hey, you know, I don't know how we're going to work. How's this going to jive, you know, and, and what are your capabilities? So it's just, it's a learning, it's a learning curve for sure. Well, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's funny. So we're talking about membership earlier and I was actually discussing with, with mom about, uh, we're finally getting back into doing this podcast tonight. And, you know, she's one of them that's been on me and some of our other listeners. Uh, it's funny fact. We were talking about the membership and uh, somehow we got onto the topic of women in the fire service. Now, I know that's still, and I don't understand it for some, that's still kind of a touchy situation. And I don't understand it because there's women in my department that I would put up against anybody. I feel just Same. as comfortable. I feel just, and, and there's actually women from other departments around us. I feel just as mm-hmm. comfortable with them going to work as I do with any of the guys. Uh, as she was telling me, and I, I told you this earlier, 1993, I think it was, she told me, it was the first time a woman had ever driven a fire engine in Allentown. And that, you know, that was her. But since then, we've had a lot of different women that have been in it. And and they've all, every single one of them have pulled their weight plus. Yeah, one of them included is your wife. Yeah, so it's funny. When her and I got together, she did have a background in on the law enforcement side. Uh she used to be a dispatcher and and stuff like that, but she never really had anything to do with the fire EMS side. And I didn't know exactly how it was going to work. You know, that's the first time that I've ever been involved with anyone outside of that. Right. So there was, there was times where I'm, I know it was hard on her and it was hard on me and kind of going back and forth to get settled into that groove. Well then, you know, one day she decided, well, Hey, I'll join. Well, then we started to go, she started to go to these calls with us and then she kind of started to get bit by the bug per se. And, you know, now she's, she's working as our secretary and she's one of the, she's one of our better on-scene supports and she's picked it up real quick. And for somebody that wasn't 
born and raised in that or, you know, have, I think she's got, I don't know, two, two and a half years, something like that into it now. Um, she's learned a lot and she's, she's come to understand a lot with it. And I mean, I, I know at times it's, it's caused problems and there's been a lot of things that she don't understand. And sometimes I'm not the easiest to get along with, especially when things happen, but, uh, (laughs) right. Right. Well, well, she's come to, she's come to understand that, you know, and she's actually real good about it. And she knows that nothing that I say is personal. And, you know, sometimes when tempers get high or obviously when the bad stuff happens, I'm probably hard to get along with once in a while, but you know, that's what it is. I think we all are. I mean, I think that's just the way the nature of the leadership position. I mean, sometimes it's just the way it is. Um, I know there's some people in my department that probably think that about me as well. You know, I think I'm, I'm difficult to get along with and, or they think I'm difficult to get along with. And, and, you know, sometimes it's, it's a matter of perspective. Um, and that's what it comes down to, I think. Yeah. 100%. She's smart though. She's learned. She knows when I get the right tone or get the right look on my face at scenes or something, she knows just to stay away. Let it go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She, she knows when it gets to that point and, and I'll cool, I'll calm down and, you know, she'll come and help talk me off a ledge. So she's real great about yeah. that. I hate to see her, hate to see her put you in your place. Uh, we all know she would. There's times, there's times, but <laughs> I know, she knows I know. when it comes to a fire scene that I, I worry about my guys and, and I, I'm gonna yep, hurt. Absolutely. I'm gonna hurt right along with them. So, but she's good. Yep. She's great about it. You know, she's gotten right into it. And honestly, with, without people like her, our department wouldn't exist. Right. It's very true. So yeah, yeah. They uh, yeah. She's funny. So we we got this weird thing, and I don't, I I don't know what it is, but we always have guys. And I know you're not supposed to getting dressed in the back of the engine on the way to fires or even just getting air packs or whatever. It's quite the show. So if I'm driving or if I'm riding seat, you'll there you'll see this just big flash of people moving her all around the back seat, and she'll be back there. She'll be helping people get dressed or getting them tools, and you'll hear some of our guys asking where their helmet is or asking where their gloves are. It's quite comical yeah. sometimes. Yep. <laughs> Yep. No, I know she's a huge asset to your department as just your mom. I mean, your mom was, was past chief, correct? The yeah. chief. She was, she was the chief. She was actually the first and only female chief in Allentown. Uh, she was in, I, I know she's got 10 or 12 years through the ranks. Mm-hmm. Um, currently she's actually still treasurer, but when I first come in, when I first began my line officer, trip uh she was she was an assistant chief at that point and then i was fortunate enough to be second assistant under her and um now dad's my first assistant so it is a big family thing uh but yeah it it was cool there was a there was a big write-up in the paper when she got chief and everything and it was a big step because there's not and you still don't see that many women that actually step up into the line, line officer let alone you know, like her, she's, she's very active and she knows, she knows what she's doing. Yep. We're, uh, we're fortunate in upper Dauphin County where we do have, um, a few assistant chiefs that are, uh, they're females, uh, Millersburg, their third assistant chief, I believe is, uh, Ashton Snyder. She's, um, pretty active in the department and comes out and does stuff. Tammy Kiesling, uh, is the 
second assistant chief for uh, or third uh, third assistant chief for Elizabethville. Um, they do quite a bit. Um, she's like on top of all the trainings for the upper county region and um, great great chief officer, great line officer. So you know we're fortunate to experience that as well up here. Uh, my department right now uh, we don't have um, a lot of the females involved. We're working to try to change that and get more members all together and. Um, on the on the firefighting side, our our active membership, um, we do have quite a few that help out support members, um, and they're great. They help out in any way they can. They they usually reach out, you know, if there's an instance, hey, what can we do to help? Um, so that's helpful. But uh, we you know trying to encourage more to get into the the fire side as well. Yeah, see, that's awesome. We so don't quote me on years because I don't exactly remember, but I always heard the story. I've heard from. You know, everybody in the department, when mom first joined, she was among the first uh, group of women that really got into the department. <clears throat> and unfortunately, back then, it wasn't quite as accepted as it is now. So to hear her talk about and, you know, hear the others talk about what it was like trying to get into that and trying to overcome that adversity. Uh, th- that was pretty that was pretty interesting. I specifically remember it was early 90s. Um, there was a house next door to where I used to live and it was during the day. And of course during the days, hard time still is not much has changed there. You know, you don't have anybody around town. Well, it just so happens that the women were home It ended up being a fully, an engine fully staffed with all women responded to this fire and, and got it flowing, got water on the fire, et cetera, et cetera. Hmm. Which crazy. I, I think that's amazing. I honestly yeah. think that's amazing. I'm fortunate. Yep. I'm glad I wasn't raised into that because I've even even you, you know, our time frame, it's been acceptable and women have always been right there beside us in the fire service. Right. And I've packed up with a lot, you know, a lot of older ones. We there's a lot of younger ones coming up in and and they're doing so amazing. You know, like I say, there's some of them I would put up against guys. I honestly would. Right. There's right. not a, there's not a single job that they can't do. Don't you have a, a mutual aid department up there or not, maybe not mutual aid to you, but a County department that um, has a, a couple of female officers or chief officers, something along those lines up, out by Scott, possibly. Uh, so they do uh, new Hudson. They have, I believe it's their third assistant chief is a female. And, and, and honestly, so <laughs> new Hudson, they're, they're kind of similar to us. They're a lot smaller of a department. Right. They have, a super amazing active group of members, including, you know, one group of women. And I tell you what, when you go to an alarm or when you're at an alarm, they will outwork everybody on that scene. I believe that. I think we've discussed that a few times, uh, just in, you know, about the work ethic and everything else from new Hudson. I couldn't remember the name of the department, Yeah. Um, but they, uh, you know, they're active and they, you know, <laughs> Hey, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. So shout out to them. Yeah. Uh, and I, and, and it's important cause that's what keeps their department going. You know, same with us. We've got women that keep our department going and I think it's a big asset to it. So I hope things keep going good. Yeah. Yeah. And, and kind of like you, Greg, uh, my mom, uh, and dad, and my grandparents, both, uh, my I can't dad's not there. mother and father, both were very active in the fire service. So, uh, my grandmother was a, uh, my grandma Locker was an EMT. Uh, wow. My grandfather was a uh, assistant chief and past president. Uh, my dad obviously 
you know, has been in a long time holding many positions from lieutenant to captain to currently the safety officer. So um, I love it. It was kind of cool, and I think you can relate with this, the aspect of working with your parents or your grandparents on fire scenes, um, just to just to have that. I mean, it's a really talk about you in a minute. cool opportunity to say, like, <laughs> hey, I, I fought fire with my dad, um, you know, and, and to know that we were both on that same level. Yeah, the only one bad part. So I've, I love the fact that I still get to go interior with my mom and everything, and I love the fact that I know dad's on the outside, and he's... He's great, and I don't know if it's because I'm his kid or what, but I always know that if I call on the radio, I've got somebody outside that's going to answer. Uh, right. But the one thing I've noticed about myself is if I have mom inside with me, I I tend to not push the envelope as much as I might with other people. And so I, I don't know if that's just because of mother-son thing or what that is, but <clears throat> we, uh, we, were on a, we were at a fire actually the day before my wedding. We were at a fire. Yeah, I, I recall that. <laughs> you know, when you were yeah, on yeah. your way up. Yeah, when uh, I was on my way up. Yep. So we, we, I had her inside. You know, there was, I think, a group of four of us. We got in there, and fire started rolling hard on us, started rolling back down under our feet and across the stairwell. And normally I would, I would stay and fight back with that a lot. But with her in there, and we had another member that was relatively newer, we voted to back out and until things kind of calm down a little bit in a normal situation i would have never done that but i don't know if you know i'm not saying that i treat her any different by any means but it's one of them things that when you're dealing with family like you say it's 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 kind of different yeah you and i can relate a little bit i mean uh your dad and mom still do it and your wife does it you know um my wife uh as much as she's gonna hate me saying this she she used to be involved um all the way up till we had our son and uh, she went through every cl- training class, everything she could get to, to educate herself because she wanted to be the best. And, uh, you know, we, we did go to calls and it was a little different. I can agree. It's a little different, um, especially when she's packing up and going in with me. It's It was a little, you know, kind of I felt like a, a need to kind of watch out a little bit more or, you know, pay a little bit more attention to what she was doing. And I understand what you're saying there. Um you know, she would still do it again if it wasn't for the, the kids, but she uh, definitely put her time and effort into doing that. So, again, we can relate pretty well with that. And I think I think anybody that does this volunteer firefighting in, in a small community, out of necessity, I think that's what they do, what partners, spouses do, you know, is they, they join up just to see what's going on and, and what they can do to help. I mean, you know, obviously both of us have been doing it for a long time. We grew up around it. So the passion's there. They see that, and I think that they want to do what they can to be involved in that as well. Yeah, don't worry. We we had your t- we had a talk with your wife. She said once the kids are old enough, she <clears throat> she'll have the thoughts of getting back into it. So I know I don't think she did occasionally show me up. She she showed me up a few times. So <laughs> I, I believe that. I you know, I know she yeah she did. So, but no, it's a good thing. Like and and you know, it's 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 great to have the involvement again. You know, in these rural communities, we're tight knit, and you know, there's a job for everybody in the fire department. Not necessarily putting an air pack on if you don't feel comfortable with it, but there, you know, the the auxiliary. If there's a ladies' auxiliary or just an auxiliary in, in general, um, if there's you know uh, a fundraising committee, stuff like that. You know, we could always use help. All of us can use help. Um, you know, in, in trying to get more people involved in this, it's a dying art, I think. And and you know, unfortunately, a lot of these smaller departments are just not able to afford it. We're not able to afford the the up, 
the upkeep of the apparatus, you know, to, uh, close to a million dollars, the, you know, the turnout gear, the SCBAs, the tools and equipment, just in the people. You know, we, we're, we're losing it so much. Yeah, and that's, it's not a lie. You know, firefighting is a family tradition. What happens when those families move off? What happens when those families reach an end? You know, we're in that situation here. My department's essentially run by three or four families. What happens when we don't have any more of those families and there's no fresh blood coming in? How do we, how do we change that? How do we get people interested that don't have the experience into it? Yeah, it's a difficult question. I mean, we're we're asking that question now, or at least I am. You know, what what do I have to do to get younger folks involved? I mean, just short of going door to door, and this is honestly where it's at. It's just short of going door to door and saying, "Hey, would you be willing to come help us?" I don't know what else there is to do. Um, you know, we can go to schools. We've done that. We've gone to schools and and uh, you know met with the the seniors in high school and said, "Hey, would you be interested in doing this?" But the unfortunate part is a lot of our communities. The kids don't stay, and I'm one of them. I, I can attest to that. You know, I'm, I'm from Rowlett in Potter County, and, and I'm living now in Northern Dauphin County. You know, so they invest. We you invest all the training and stuff into somebody, and that's great. And then they move away, but you don't get them back. You know, it's it's a it's a great thing to have the training and the experience for these folks, but you, you just don't see them after that because they move out of the out of the area and they go somewhere else. It's great for another company because they'll join up and 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 do the job, but it doesn't help that home department. Right. Well, that's what's hard is Rollette is kind of similar to here. You know, they're a little bit bigger, but there's nothing there. There's no jobs. There's there's nothing around. You know, how do you expect there's no, kids to stay? Yeah, there's no industry. There's nothing that's I mean, there is, but you have to drive. Um, you know, I was driving an hour one way at one point in my life just to go to work. Um, you know, and it's just it's the same in Williamstown. There's not really a lot of industry in this town. Um, you have to travel. Um, but we are fortunate that we're close enough to the city of Harrisburg and uh, the city of Lebanon, a few other places um, that we can, you can drive to within an hour, you know, yeah, but even and, then, and you're, you're talking an hour. That's, that's a lot. That's, that's, you're not leaving work to go to a fire. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. And, and that's, that is the part of the problem. That's our, our staffing issues during the day. You got people that work down in Harrisburg. I, uh, we have an assistant chief in Williamstown right now that, that works in Harrisburg. So his involvement in the fire company is literally from the time he gets home from work till just before he leaves. And, you know, that that's the nature of what we have to deal with here. So, I mean, it, it is, it's super difficult. It's super difficult. It, but we're not the only departments facing this. I mean, any of the departments around me are facing the same thing that I am. I'm sure, and I know the departments around you are facing the same thing you are. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing, and and that's that's a big question. We don't know how to fix it, but what's going to happen? Our take Allegheny County for instance. We've got a lot of small departments. You know, you're going to see them start. You're going to have to see mergers start taking place at some point. Mm -hmm. But what happens? You start merging. This department has five members. This department has five members. Well, that still only leaves you with ten members. So what do you do? We can't well, afford to have a county paid service. Well, that's the problem. So ultimately, without the without the volunteers coming in, that's what it's going to go to. It's going to be a paid service. Um, and you know, it's funny we talk about fire tax. It's a big. It's a it's a topic in Pennsylvania. Um, the fire tax. You know, you can you can start getting fire tax up to three mils over a period of time. Um, and that's great, but that fire tax 
isn't doing anything for the people that are volunteering today. Um, you know, it, it builds up. It takes time to build up. And, you know, people, they say, well, why do I have to pay a fire tax? You know, we have a volunteer fire company. Well, here at the end of the day, without that volunteer fire company, you're going to pay a fire tax because you're going to have a paid service in there. You're, it's going to be more than a fire tax. You're going to be paying for a service. Um, you know, a lot of the EMS departments have gone to that. They've gone to a paid a paid service and, and they're billing, you know, no matter what. You know, Rollett's fortunate enough, and so is Williamstown, that they have a membership you have a membership drive for EMS service. So that way, if you get, you know, you're transported to the hospital, whatever your insurance doesn't cover is what you pay, but you don't pay that, pay that mileage or any along, anything else along those lines. Um, it, it, I don't know. I, I don't have an answer for it. I know we've talked about it. And then, you know, how, you know, one of the, one of the things that we've discussed and, and I've heard people say is what's the cost, you know, what's it, what's the, your family and your house, you know, cost to you or what's it worth to you? Because I think, you know, a lot of these people try to justify $100 a year for fire insurance or fire tax. You know, is it worth it? And in my opinion, it is. You know, it's, it's you're providing a necessary service to your, your community, but you have a lot of stuff, well, not a lot, you have some departments that will abuse that. Yeah, I agree. So, I mean, it's a, it's a hit or miss. Um, you know, and, and but, to, but to be honest, I mean, the funding and the manpower are the two biggest problems I think we face in rural rural firefighting. You know, I, I, without that, I think things would be a lot better for us. Um, it, it's, it's, I don't know. That, that's my opinion. I, I think that, you know, we struggle with the funding and we struggle with the people. And our funding isn't getting any better. I mean, how many chickens do you have to sell? I mean, when you sell, say, 250 chickens, you make 800 bucks. doesn't even pay all your utilities for the month. Right. You know, four hours of your time that you go over and then cost the cost to do it. And then you do that or, or even bingo, you know, you, you open the doors for 30, 40 people. You do that a couple months in a row. What's the cost? You know, what's the cost to have the, uh, the lights on and the utilities on versus what you're actually bringing in. Yeah, exactly. Well, and then all the time it takes. So right. you're, you're sitting there doing, selling chicken barbecues, doing bingo, doing raffles, then all of a sudden your members are selling tickets year-round. One, how quick before they get tired of selling them? And then two, how how long is it going to take before people get tired of getting hit up for tickets all the time? Right. You know, gun raffles. Gun raffles used to be a huge thing. Now you see everybody doing them. You don't make nothing for money on them. Right. But what options are there? There's no other options. I think we would get better. The problem is the perception of the volunteer fire service too. I mean, obviously I'm from an area not far from you. Um, and the perception is it's your neighbors, right? Every, you know, the people that are in the fire department, right? Well, in this town, in the town I'm in right now, the perception is nobody, nobody knows who I am. They don't want four clowns showing up in a pickup truck to put the fire out. And that's the perception that a lot of these volunteer fire companies are getting, even though that's not the case. You know, the, the tight-knit communities like in Potter County, the tight-knit communities, and this one too, but they don't really know the leadership, uh, you know, because we just changed it here not too long ago. They don't really know the leadership from that. But what they don't want is four clowns showing up in a pickup truck wearing T-shirts saying, hey, we'll put the fire out. And and I think that's the perception that a lot of these volunteers are getting, and it, it's not really the, the fairest way to look at it. Although some, I mean, hate to say it that way, some do. You know, our job is to be the best, not show up and think we're the best fire doesn't get out put out with a portable radio 
Right. Well, and that's the, well, I don't know if you want to call it unfortunate, fortunate thing, whatever. We're held to the same standard as FDNY, let's say it. Yep. If we respond to a fire, whether it's a single-story dwelling or whether it's, you know, a multi-level business, we're expected to have the same knowledge, the same experience, the same training as, you know, anyone across the board, which... Right. I'm not going to say I disagree with, but as we've discussed, how how do you do that? How do you get somebody to donate that much time to do it? Exactly. It's, it's very difficult. It's very difficult. Um, and I don't know, I, I don't have an answer for it. Like I said, and, and it is, it's frustrating knowing that, you know, you can do better. You have the resources available to you. We just don't have the people to do it. You know, that that's a very frustrating part and a very frustrating thing to think about. Um, and I know I'm not the only fire chief that has to think about that by the by a long stretch. But, you know, what? when's the day going to come when there's only three people or four people? Exactly. Well, and then the thing is, so take this. I'm going on vacation here in a week. You're going on vacation actually the same week. <clears throat> yep. So I have that, I have this feeling that I feel guilty to a certain aspect. I'm going to be out of town. Well, what if something happens, you know, and we're not here to carry our part or to pitch in and help. And we shouldn't have to worry about that. If you want to go out one night, have a beer with your buddies, you shouldn't have to feel guilty because you might miss an alarm. But with not having, with not having the amount of members in there to pick up that slack or take care of it. That's what it is. You know, you got your core group and I'm, I know you're the same way you've got, yep. you know, 10, 15, maybe members. And that's probably highballing it. That are your core group. Those are your, those are your members that are in it for the right reasons. You, those are the members that are in it to do the job. The ones that come to the trainings, the fundraisers, they respond to the alarms. And if yep. you guys, you know, that they deserve to have a personal life but they're not afforded that opportunity because they have to worry about covering calls. Right. And, and it's hard. I mean, as a chief officer and here's the thing, we, we have limited drivers in Williamstown. Now it's obviously something we're working on to try to try to change, but sure. you know, you don't just have classes every day of the week. You know, we got to get people through the pump ops class and EVOT class before they can drive. Um, we have a lot of, there's a lot of moving parts to get somebody in that position. Plus you have to get them trained and, and understanding on how to even operate a pump. So with that being said, you can put people in the class, you can put people in the training, but you're still doing the job. So like, that's where I feel guilty. Like as a chief officer, I've got two to three people right now that I have cleared to drive. Um, and a couple more in the works of, of being released. You just need a little bit more time. Um, but Without me being there, that offsets that uh, dynamic. You know what I mean? It's, so what if one of the other per- other people aren't there? That means there's only two people to get rigs out, right? That's where the communication is key, and that's where I you know, send a message out to the other fire chiefs and say, hey, listen, I'm going to be out of town for a week. You know, We're going to have limited staffing. That way they know if we get, a, if we get an alarm in, in Williamstown and they're only due with one piece, they're most likely going to bring two. You know, yeah. just because. You know, yeah. and that, that'll help substantiate that staffing or substantiate and, and there's a lot of times you know if i have officers that are not here i'm going to the station to grab a rig you know if that means turning command over to somebody else okay i have no problem with that that's what they're just as qualified and trained that they wouldn't be put in that position if they weren't so hey 
it's yours when you get here. I'm pumping. Just let me know what you need. You know, and, and that's one thing that's a benefit for us. But it's great to have that relationship. But again, if they're struggling with four people and we're struggling with four people and another partner struggling with four people around us, you know, that's 12 people that we have when we used to have, you know, 50 to 60 on a fire scene and have two departments. You used to have 30 from each department. You know what I mean? It, it's a frustration. Yeah, it is. Well, then the problem is, is like you say, your mutual aid companies are always going to step up and help you, which is great. We do the same thing in reverse as well. But then the bad part is, is then you get others in the community, or maybe not in your community, maybe other communities that don't know the situation and don't care enough that will sit there and blast you all over Facebook. Well, hey, look at these guys. They couldn't get more than one truck out or, you know, they had to have all these all this other help come in. Well, yeah, that's the nature of it. But instead Correct. of trying and, and, to step up and help, they'd rather throw you under the bus. And you know that I've faced that uh, in a couple of different ways. <laughs> so um, it's true. And, and you know, we're, we're averaging, you know, filling a rig and getting out. And I'm, I'm fine with that. There's a lot of departments that are getting out with three, two. You know, I'll fill a rig and take it any day of the week. Um, and if I can't get the second piece out, I can't get the second piece out. Go, go next to. That's why you have box alarms. That's why things are in place. But I'd rather know that I've got a legitimate crew on the first out piece than split my crews up and then have to try to guess what I've got going where. Right. Well, and that's what makes you it know, hard, it, especially it, in this settings. You're not looking at, you're expected to be able to staff, okay, we have four trucks. Well, the community expects you to staff those four trucks all the time. That's not feasible for anybody. No, nope. I don't care what department you're in. It's difficult to get apparatus out i mean daytime is a struggle um it's difficult and it's not getting any better um you know and it i don't know it, it, it is it, it's difficult so like you know the nice part is um around here i don't know how you guys i i kind of am familiar with how you do it up there but um we're unit specific on dispatch so depending on what type of incident it is in our mutual aid districts Either the tanker will go and act as a tanker, or the engine will go and act as an engine. Um, so depending on what we're due with, you know, it might necessitate the crew and say, okay, well, the tanker's due, and they're only going to be shuttling water, we'll send two. If they're going to go and go to work, we're going to send six. You know, and then, we're, then you have to worry about, okay, do we have adequate staffing back at the station for the engine? No, yes. You know, and that's where you just need to be heads up if you're the officer on the rig going to the incident. Hey, I've only got this crew, and this is what I got. You know, if you need something else from us, go next to. All right. You can't oh, yeah, be afraid to say it. That's what. Like, I, I get the pride aspect. Trust me, I'm a very prideful person. I'm very, I'm probably harder on myself than anybody else is as an officer. Um, but I also understand the, the limitations of where we're at and what we have. So if I can't provide that service, I'm just going to tell you to go next to. And if the community doesn't understand that, I don't know what else to do or, or say because it's. It's, it's out of our control at that point. Right. Well, yeah, so up here, it, it always happens, whether you're taking one truck, two trucks, whatever, we're dumping our manpower in one truck. Or for, for us, okay, so take for instance, we get called for an engine to go to Wellsville. Well, it's a standing agreement that when we're called for an engine that we send every bit of manpower we can because that, you know, that's right. just how it is. We need it. So we'll send our engine, we'll send our brush truck out there full of manpower. Okay, well, we got two trucks left in the station. That doesn't do us any good when we don't have any manpower left. 
So that's where, unfortunately, the standby shuffle happens. You know, we might have Bolivar come into our station, or, you know, they may end up in Wellsville, and then we'll move Richburg or Shingle House in or or whatnot. And, you know, I understand people get, people don't understand, well, hey, you only got one truck out. Why do you need standby? Well, yeah, I've got one truck out, but I've got 10 guys gone. I don't have anybody else to staff anything else. You know, and sure, right. you, could, you could just call your next due for an alarm, but when your next due is coming from 20, 30 minutes away, that's not exactly feasible for your community. Well, right. And so, like, look at Rollette as an aspect to that. Um, you know, they, they go to McKean County quite a bit to Port Allegheny, Smithport, um, and so does Countersport. So your, your closest mutual aid, two closest mutual aid departments are out on one incident, the same incident. Right, so station three gets dispatched for a house fire. Station forty-eight for RIT. They're dumping the rescue, and if they upgrade the alarm, then they're dumping the tower, which sends an engine. So then you have three pieces on the road. There, Rollett's full company response with an engine, with an engine in the squad, and you're you're taking probably twelve guys. You got nobody left to drive anything, right? Or or do anything. So yes, they're gonna call a a, a transfer department because that leaves Austin, Shingle House, or Galton, or Ulysses, or you know. Uh, genesee as your next closest units you're talking up to 45 minutes in some instances for, yeah. for the first out piece see and that's what so, i find interesting powder county is so spread out and there's so few departments really and we uh we looked into what what we could do to possibly regionalize right so kicked around the idea a few years ago to kind of look at the feasibility and i know they've done feasibility studies i'm not entirely sure you can do anything different than what they've what they currently have right now I mean, it, it's a huge district. It's a huge county. I mean, Austin, I believe, don't quote me if this is actually correct, but I think it's 360 square miles they cover to one department. So, I mean, they cover all of, uh, basically the southern half of Potter County, all the way out to essentially almost Cross Fork. Yeah, and that's insane. I mean, Germania. So it's a huge, huge district, huge district. And, and, and you know that they, they're busy. They're a busy department. I mean, with all the camps they cover, uh, the brush fires they get, um, you know, the structure fires they get, the crashes they get, they're, they are a diamond in the rough department. I yeah, but the horrible part is they've got parts in their district that it might take them a half hour to get to. And it does. Uh, <laughs> some parts of Wharton Township, um, you know, uh, Sylvania Township. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of travel time to get there. Now, they're fortunate they have chief officers that are kind of staged a little bit further out from town, um, you know, to the south, so they can they can effectively get down to an incident pretty quickly. Uh, their, their first assistant chief, he lives down in, the like, the halfway area between Wharton and Austin. Um, so, like, he's, he, you know, he can go either way. Right. So it is a benefit. Right. right. But, but I mean, they'd be huge, huge coverage area. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. See, I'm fortunate. We get to work with we get to work with Potter County quite frequently. You know, Shingle House, they're I don't know, probably five miles from us, I would say. So we work mm-hmm. with them on a regular basis and I I know them guys and but there's a difference between how Allegheny County, New York operates compared to how Potter County, Pennsylvania operates. So there's that little learning curve or that little operations curve between them coming here and learning our operations and us going down there and learning their operations. So that kind of adds a little kink into it sometimes. And you'll see Shingle House, you know how it is. Shingle House primarily works with New York departments, whether it's us, right. Bolivar, Weston's, Portville, 
you know, whatever, you'll see some of the some of the PA departments, but in general, you're seeing a lot of New York departments down there because we're closing. Yep, it, well, it is. And, and, and uh, you know, Doug uh, Estes, their fire chief, does a great job of making sure that he has the resources available that he needs to, to you know, effectively put a fire out. I mean, he, he calls resources from New York State, which is just across the line, literally just across the line from them, uh, for, for their incidents. Um, you know, where it's going to take Rowlett or Cowder Sport, you know, uh, 30 minutes to get there. Yeah. Um, and I'd have to go over a big hill, too. Um, so, you know, that, that is a benefit for him. Uh, Genesee, the same way. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they are literally, I mean, you could stand at their fire station and see the New York line almost. I, I mean, that's how close they are. Um, so, of course, naturally, they're going to have Whitesville willing. Um, and you guys, I don't know if you guys go there much, but, uh, no, you know, Wellsville, Wellsville. And Wellsville quite frequently, but you, you look even Countersport. Countersport's had some big fires lately, some big fires. Wellsville's ladder truck ended up down there and that's what a half hour, 40 minute ride, maybe. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah. It's, it's a good ride. And, and you know what? Chief Phelps, as always does a great job with, uh, was making sure that he has the resources he needs. He knows his resources. He knows his box alarms. Doesn't have to look at a piece of paper. Ask the county was next new truck is. He's already asking for it. You know when he arrived on scene of that the last uh, multi alarm structure fire they had at the uh, Hotel Crittenden. You know he pulled up with smoke showing from the third floor and uh, fire coming down the second. Um, you know he he upgraded to his working structure box and then requested two additional aerial apparatus. He knew he was getting Wellsville. He knew he was getting Genesee. Um, so and then then he kept proper position for for those rigs to get in you know he didn't block anything out with supply line they had great positioning um great tactics uh he's you know great tactics right so yeah i think that's great and i think that's important and that's a, that's what all officers should should know you know i focus a lot on knowing my area knowing my mutual aid companies i know you do the same Yep. If I arrive on scene of a fire, I know exactly what each department has and I know what they can supply. And, and, and I think that's part of our responsibility to be able to quickly make those decisions and make those calls to get that in. Absolutely. And we should be asking for whatever resources we may need, not, you know, like we just laid out our box alarms here and uh, we went off of Google maps and we pulled our closest departments via Google maps um, by P by unit, by piece of equipment. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously we have Wiccanisco, uh, just, just to our East or sorry, excuse me, to our West. Um, they're, you know, they have the rescue engine, they have an engine, they have a tanker. So they're coming right away. Same thing with Likens has our, uh, has a special service, uh, ladder truck, you know, so between Likens and Wiccanisco, we have our two special services. You know, then we have a writ involved from Elizabethville, which is our next closest. Then we have our Porter Township units to our east in Schuylkill County that are coming in. Um, basically, all the departments are coming in with, with pieces of apparatus, whether it be an engine tanker, uh, rescue engine, you know, for a secondary writ. Um, so, you know, I had somebody ask me why our box alarms were loaded as much as they are. And I base that on the lack of manpower we get. Yeah. Um, you know, I'd rather have, no, I have five engines to, to, or a ladder and a, and two rescues coming for initial box then, or a, a, you know, initial dispatch, then get there and have a blowing fire in the middle of a row. And now I've got to try to figure out what I need. You know, I know what I have coming. It's nice to know the box alarms are there and they're coming the way that we had them set up. So I know what pieces are coming. 
Yeah, and you've already said it. Your roads down there are skinny, and your houses are really close together. Yeah, and I, it's funny. So uh, we have Monday night trainings. We train every Monday, um, with the exception of our meeting night, which is the third Monday of the month. Um, so we had training um, Monday night, and we were talking, and, I, and so we were going over communications, just basic communications with our, our newer folks. Um, radio communications, communications on the fire scene, and understanding when somebody asks you what side Alpha, Bravo, Charlie, or Delta are, or divisions, what they actually are. Um, it's, it's stuff like that that I think we, we kind of miss a little bit with our newer folks that is kind of a, you should probably already know that, and they don't. So, you know, just kind of took the basics, trying to lay that groundwork and, and try to get everybody on the same page. But we were talking, I said, you know, look at the, the building construction in Williamstown and, and tell me how that differs from say Harrisburg city. And they're like, well, well we don't have the high rises. We don't have the, said, okay, that's fine. But w- what do we have that they have? Well, pretty much most of our construction is like what they have. We have duplexes, we have rows, um, not to their extent, but we ha- do have some row homes and we have, you know, some multifamilies. We have some taxpayers. Um, we have different building construction here that kind of similar to what they have. So my point being was, why are, why are we fighting diff- fire different than what they are? What are we doing different? We should be acting the same way that they do. We should be looking up to them and saying, okay, this is how they handle this situation. This is how we should handle this situation. Um, same thing with, uh, you know, the departments outside of the city, like Steelton, um, Sordera Township, you know, that had these larger buildings. And, and we're all facing kind of the same thing. We might be a, a rural department in the middle of nowhere, but we have the same type of building construction. So how are we going to handle that differently? Or the same way that they do, but under different circumstances with positive water supply and that kind of stuff. We still should be positioning the aerial apparatus the same way. We still should be putting the fire out, put the wet stuff on the red stuff. Firefighting's firefighting, no matter how you look at it. We should be doing it all the same way. But let's look at see how they handle it tactically. Let's see how they look, how they handle it. You know, from a pre plan standpoint, how do they pre plan and what do they look for when they pre plan? So it's it's all good information. That's what you know. And same thing with you. You guys have the same type of uh, building construction as say Wellsville, which is a little bit larger town. Um, you know how you look at it and what tactics do you need to fight the fire exactly and there's nothing wrong with looking at the larger departments the career departments you know your Harrisburg City your FDNY Buffalo Rochester whatever there's nothing wrong with looking at their tactics looking at how they operate and taking from that everything that you can learn because I'm not saying that we need to model after any certain department but there's a lot to learn from there, from from these guys and these officers, especially they have a ton of experience. They get a lot of work. They they, they you know they do this every day, all day long. There's a lot to learn from that, and a lot that you can take from it and put into it. You know, I I've got a small town. I've got a hamlet that's got 300 people in it. But guess what? If a house burns up here, it's going to burn the same as a house in Buffalo City. Yep. yep. So why can't I take what they're doing up there? Look at it, listen, learn some things from that, implement it here for what works for us. There's nothing saying that you can't do that. Yep. Nothing nothing says that. And, yeah. and yeah, like we don't specifically model it after one specific department, but we've got a lot of good, uh, experienced people that are down this way that we can look up to and say, all right, well, this is what we're going to do. This is what we should right. you know, try to, try to do. Um, yeah, absolutely absolutely well and i know like even you and i our departments are four hours away from each other but how many times have we bounced ideas off of each other and gotten each other's inputs and and, and like that and that's how it should be you should be able to call yep. any fire station 
in this country and work with work with whoever's there. Work back and forth because we're all on the same team. Yep. And I do have a lot of good uh, chief officers in my corner. Um, you guys in the northern part, you know, uh, Rawletts Chiefs, um, inline officers, uh, Cowder Sport, Port Allegheny. You know, it's nice down here because I have uh, Saul Schmollitz, Chief 39 uh, in, in Grantville. Um, that can bounce stuff off from. I've got Corey Noel, uh, Joe Miller, uh, Lieutenant, one of the lieutenants at 34, John Louis Heisey, all guys that have had a lot, ton of experience down this way that I can bounce stuff off from. If you know, if it's something pertaining to what we're dealing with down here, you know, it, it's nice you have that support system. We all do. Yeah, <clears throat> absolutely, absolutely. And I think that's important. That's important before the incident. That's important after the incident. To have yep. those outreaches, so, so yep. I like it, and, and that's what everybody needs to understand, is if you're not comfortable with something, and especially if you're a new line officer coming up, reach out. If you ask your ask your elder members in the department, ask members in other departments, you know, work on the same team. I would absolutely love it if if I have officers reaching out to me and asking me questions and and giving me more out, outreach so that because of course you know I have a lot of questions still. You know, I, yeah, sure, I've got 20-some years in, but I still have a lot that I'm learning and a lot that I want to know the answers to, and and you're great about that, and Scott's great about that, and Jake, you know, we yep. have a we have a great group, and, and yeah, I think and, that's and what we, everybody needs to understand, is that's, that's okay, that's good to have. Yeah, and we, we talk daily. It's not Absolutely. like we, you know, we every day we're talking about something, whether it be, uh, you know, a prime example, we were just talking right before the podcast, all of us in the group talking about Buffalo City. Uh, they just suffered a, a fire at their uh, repair shop in the city. You know, we're talking about how would you handle that situation? You know, look at the, you know, everything from smoke condition and the videos we watched. Uh, how would we handle that if that was something we had to deal with? Right. You know, we all we all bounce it off each other and have it's it's all good discussion. There's nothing that's bad about it. No, exactly. You'll get different views. <laughs> yeah, and different views is a good thing, and that's what I love. You're four hours away. If we have an incident up here, obviously, I don't have to worry about you going to it. But I know that you're always listening. You're, you've right. always got the feed up. So it's great for me, after the fact, that I can reach out and get your input on how things sounded from the outside and you know what you think, what you might do different, and what you think sounded like went right. You know, same vice versa. That's, that's a great avenue to have. Well, and the problem is we have a lot of... Um... I hate to say it in the volunteer fire service. We have a lot of closed minded officers, you know, ask for help, ask how you sounded. You know, it's pride in what we do as officers. Did we do the right thing? Did you, did it sound okay? You know, what, where could we have improved? What, you know, what were things that you heard that maybe need to be changed or, you know, again, I'm four hours away. I don't know what the building construction looks like. I don't know what you're rolling up to based on the visual, but everything you say puts that picture together, you know, of what you're kind of dealing with. So, well, exactly, and you're seasoned enough, so you know you you can listen to something, and you're seasoned enough to where you can pretty much put it together in your head what we're seeing, Mm -hmm. and same vice versa. So it's all it's all it's all of us. It's all of us. You know how many times we talk about an incident? We're all sitting together listening to an incident, or if it's uh, you know somebody will throw it in the chat. Hey, Scott's got jobs. You know we pull up the Allegheny feed, and we're all listening to it, talking about okay, well this is what's going on, what we think's going on, and when they get there, the conditions and. All that stuff. So it's not, you know, we we talk our way through it just as, you know just as much as just as fast as happening. Yep. Yep. Exactly. That's what I love about our chat is I can go back. We'll take when we had our mate a year ago, actually a year ago Monday. Um, yep. It was two o'clock in the morning. Well, by the time I got back to my phone, I had messages from all of you guys 
like when it happened. You know, Scott was the first one because he happened to be awake listening to it. And he, he was dead set on making sure that I was okay, making sure my guys were okay. And he, he wasn't going to be happy until I, he heard back from me. Yep. But yep. it was nice after the fact to be able to talk to you guys and, you know, hear an outsider perspective on what it sounded like and everything. And it makes you understand things more and, and, and makes you, uh, you know, it's good training. So, you know, what's got, what you can do next time to make it better. Right. And that's, I'm always, I'm always open to constructive criticism. Absolutely. Um, you know, as an officer, you have to be. Because every incident is different. And if somebody's experienced something similar to what you're dealing with, take their advice. Take the criticism. Hey, this is where you can do better. All right, man. I'll, I'll do that better next time. You know, it, it's, I don't know. It, it's nice to, it's nice to get that sometimes too. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's nice. Honestly, it's nice to see the negative criticism that we get online too. Because honestly, like myself, I feed off of that. I love to see the people yeah, trash talking and, and all that. And I think I like to take it and, prove them wrong the next time. And I think that helps better us as well. Yeah. I mean, it depends on what it is. I mean, well, let's be yeah. honest. I made hitting hard. I made hitting hard from the yard numerous times. One was for painting a door. I don't even understand that, but, uh, you know, it is what it is. I, I, you know, the people that I work with uh, that, you know, have good stuff, I'll listen to it. You know, even if I was wrong, tell me I'm wrong. Tell me what I need to do different. You know, and I, I think our, uh, you know, I'm new to the area, but I think our mutual aid chiefs, at least most of them know, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm open to it. I got thick skin. You're not going to hurt my feelings uh, any more than my wife does anyway. So, <laughs> Yeah, but she's your biggest you know, supporter. She is. Yep, 100%. But she is still mean. Yeah, well, I feel for her. Because I know <laughs> how you are after incidents and how you are after dealing with fire department stuff. So I feel for her. About I know. She has to be by nature. <laughs> <laughs> so, yep. no, it's all good. But, yeah, no, it... Uh, all good stuff, man. It's 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 these problems that we f- we face on a daily basis. We can't answer it. You know what we discussed tonight. You know, like we got into some tanker shuttle operation stuff. Yeah, some rural water movement. We could talk more on that down the line here, where we get a little bit more, you know, feedback and perspective from maybe some other people. But, um, you know, most of this is challenges we face. We're never going to get away from the fundraising aspect unless you have somebody that is wealthy and donates. You're never going to away from the manpower issue. I mean, unless you have a call volume that's a thousand calls a year and you're volunteer and then you're having most of the time have a live-in program, if that's the case, um, it, there's no real good answer. And, you know, on the volunteer side where we're at, you know, 150 calls a year, that's a lot. 200 calls a year, that's a lot. You know, um, I'm sure there's departments out there that are averaging 60 calls a year, you know, mm-hmm. fire-related calls a year. It, it, it's, I mean, I know you have a mutual aid department just uh Literally, it's your one of your neighboring departments that runs what four or five calls a year, um, possibly maybe maybe ten. But uh, I mean, it's just the nature of the district. You know, you know a lot of people that live there. It's so it is tough. It's tough to retain people. It's tough to get the training in. There's complacency. Um, but in the same aspect, at two a.m. when the alarm goes off for a child trapped inside a burning house. It doesn't matter whether you respond to one alarm a year or 300 alarms a year. You better know what you're doing. You better get there. You better do your job. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yep, absolutely. So, so yeah, but anyways, yep. um, I guess we've been rambling on long enough for this. <laughs> yeah. Time kind so, of flies. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, anyways, I, I'm, I hope everybody's enjoying the show, and I hope everybody understands 
why we're we were kind of absent for a while and we're hoping to get better about it and we're hoping to get back into getting things more interesting so yeah and give us some feedback let us know what you want to hear yeah. again i think we said this last time but just let us know what you want to hear um we're open to, to talk about pretty much anything as far as fire service volunteers um let us know yeah absolutely absolutely we're happy to have others on the show and happy to have others pitch in and, and give us a hand with it you know we're not professional radio hosts by any means we're just a few nope. guys that like to run our mouths <laughs> we're passionate about what we do and, and yeah. uh, you know we, we we see issues every day we try to deal with them so if we're seeing them and we're four hours apart uh can imagine it's probably everywhere absolutely so all right well we're gonna get things wrapped up uh i hope everybody i hope everybody hangs in there and it's doing good and like we say, reach out if you have any questions, comments. We would absolutely love to hear from you. Dave, thanks yep, again for absolutely. being here. So, No problem. No problem. Have a good evening. All right. Later, everyone.